0: Well, listen, I have a few announcements to say first of all, and then we're going to get into God's Word today because that's what we love to do. Um, yes. Can we let six, seven, and eight, head to the warehouse this time? Can we let them? What do you think, folks? Should we let them go? <laughs> okay, this is not a democracy. It is. Yes. Go ahead, guys. <laughs> uh, have a great time over there. You know the Lord's over there too, eh? The Lord will meet with you over there, just like he meets with us here. Let me give you these announcements. There is going to be a baptism October 20th. So that's just coming up in a few weeks. If you are interested in baptism, if you have never been baptized, but you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I would ask you the question, why have you never been baptized? You read through the Bible, you see, when people trusted in Jesus and became followers of Christ, they got baptized as a sign and symbol of their washing from, the, um, from their sins, as a sign and symbol of their death to the old way of life, and, and coming alive to a new way of life in Jesus Christ. So there's a thought. It's in a couple of weeks, and um, just see how the Holy Spirit leads on that. My second announcement has to do with the closing the gap with respect to our budget, and you may have known that a few just a few weeks ago we were about fifty-nine thousand dollars behind our budget in giving. Uh, two weeks ago, that fifty-nine had become forty-seven thousand behind. That's uh, closing the gap, and actually last week. That 59 had become 39,000. We're closing the gap. The gap is shrinking. This is a piece of good news. So we would like to just say thank you and um, thank the Lord for what God is doing uh, financially here as well. Um, I also want to mention that in the very first week of youth meetings this uh, fall, there were over 50 youth who were present. Uh, There were a bunch of leaders who were volunteering and working together. Everything was in place. Isn't this wonderful? God is at work. Good things are happening. And I would say also for the covenant communities, this is the small group structure where people get together in small groups. There are 13 groups this fall. Six of them are brand new. Uh, There are 134 people who are registered in these groups. That's pretty wonderful. There's a, a good sprinkling geographically all around the area. So if you haven't found a, a small group to be in like this, a covenant community, there will probably be one real close to where you live. And uh, there is a need there, uh, for uh, another group in Milton. There's already a group in Milton. There's a need for another one. So if you live in Milton, you have a house that you could use as the host or be a leader, that would really be wonderful. And then my last comment here is that the, would you pray for the search process? Um, we are in the midst of searching for a new lead pastor to lead forward uh, here at Forest View. And um, we're very close. And there's a real need for, for a volume of prayer, for uh, intense prayer that God will lead with wisdom and insight And um, so God is doing this, but I just want you to know that the the leadership team are working on this very hard, very prayerfully, uh, very diligently, listening to the Holy Spirit, asking questions, digging deep, uh, wanting to do all all that we can do. So pray for the leadership team. And then uh, just before we open the word, I just want to remind you of something this morning, and that is that you are dearly loved. You're dearly loved by the maker of the universe, the God who created all things and who came here in the person of Jesus Christ. He's especially fond of you. So Lord, we just continue in a spirit of prayer and openness to you now. We thank you for what you're doing uh, here among us. We thank you for what you're doing across our country Lord, from coast to coast and and around the world. You're our great, great God. And we worship you in song. We worship you now with our hearts wide open to hear what you want to say to us today. And we ask you to speak for our hearts and ears are open. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Um, We are just reminded here that the Holy Spirit of God uses the Word of God to transform and change the men and women of God, our brothers and sisters here, in order to become more like Jesus, the Son of God, all to the glory of God. So week by week, we dig into the Word of God, we look at the Scriptures, we see what the Lord wants to teach us and lead us forward. And this fall, as Elizabeth has said already, from now till December, we're going to be going through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And so today we're doing the first part, which is the Beatitudes. And I want you to know right off the bat that I'm not going to be able to do um, justice to this passage, all right? There is so much in here, and it's so deep and so wonderful. I'm gonna do my best, but um, I'm just saying that. In, because as I've been reading and studying this, uh, the Beatitudes and the whole Sermon on the Mount, I, um, I realize that I study the sermon and then the sermon studies me. That the insights that are here come back to me, to correct me, and to to change me, to transform me. I see Jesus addressing the Pharisees in the passage here, and I see that, in fact, he's addressing the Pharisee in me. And so I am fully expecting that as we move between here and December, as we look through these passages of Scripture, that we're going to be changed. We're going to be transformed. We're going to become more like Jesus. We're going to soak ourselves into the good news of Jesus, and we're gonna become more like him. And we invite you to be on this journey with us. I'd ask you to be reading Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. You could read it over and over and over again and see how the Lord is leading you and teaching you as you go. Oh, maybe I'll give you an example of the Pharisee in me. Um, I'm reading this first uh, of the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I'm thinking, you know what, I'm pretty poor in spirit. I really am, I'm I'm pretty humble, I see my need of God. I think, yeah, I'm pretty poor in spirit. Until I meet somebody who thinks they're strong and powerful in spirit someone who knows all the answers and somebody who can, you know, is kind of harsh and critical of people who are failing and not doing well and this kind of thing, and then they just seem so proud and critical and judgmental to me that I think, well, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like them. Like I'm way better than, oh, that means I'm not really poor in spirit when I think I'm better than somebody else, right? So I see, Did, did I lose you on that? Are you with me? It's just so easy. So the truths that are here are transforming truths, helping to move us to become more like Jesus. So um, parents, as your kids went back to school this fall, probably some of the prayers that you were praying were, Lord, how can I keep my kids safe? How can I keep my kid out of trouble? How can I help my child to follow after Christ and to, to live their life for Jesus Christ? And part of, the answer, part of the answer to that prayer is, what is God doing in our lives as adults? And even if you're not a parent, you know, how, we, we want to be a positive influence on other people, our associates, our neighbors, and so on. Um, and... The big question is, what is my part in this? How will I live as a fully devoted follower of Jesus, being transformed myself to follow Jesus better and to trust him that others will see God at work in me? Now, we all do this imperfectly. True. Every one of us does this imperfectly. But there's a desire I believe and I see in your hearts, week after week, to be an authentic follower of Jesus and to let Christ transform our hearts. So that's what we wanna do. The context for this passage that we're looking at, I think it's gonna come up for us here, is that there were many people who came to Jesus and they were desperate. They had desperate needs of all kinds. And we'll see this here. Jesus went throughout, this is the passage immediately before Matthew 5. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Syria's been in our news after, uh, uh, you know, for the last while. This is a big area. And uh, so, and those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. What a Savior. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, those are the ten cities, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So this is a huge crowd that has come from all over the place. Jesus' popularity is soaring, and he's right at the beginning of his ministry. And so the people are saying... Now, now, who is this guy? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one who's going to lead us into victory? He's going to overthrow those dirty Romans. He's going to give us our freedom and our power back, and we're going to have our own authority and our own wealth and our own country back again. Is this the one? And then Jesus comes with these words from Matthew 5, which don't sound like power and authority and conquering and all that kind of stuff. In fact, they just sound like exactly the opposite. And he starts with this term blessed. Blessed. And the the word blessed m- means this. It, it's like this short cry of joy. Wow! Are you ever fortunate? Are you ever lucky? You are so blessed. How amazingly blessed. Are you? And this sets up this term blessed juxtaposed against the people who we think are probably not very blessed at all. So let's read the passage. I'm going to ask you to stand up and we're going to read this one more time. Uh, So if you would, stand up for the reading of God's word. Here we go. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, go ahead, help me, would you? Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Thanks. Be seated, please. I think we have every right to ask, what really are these Beatitudes, and how do they apply to us? I think today, I'd love to just go word by word through these things we would need to take 8 weeks on the beatitudes and what we're trying to do is to go through this before christmas this is going to feel like a flyover to you rather than a walk through and so we're going to stand back a bit and we're going to fly over and see the big principles and the big ideas that that christ is really pointing out for us here so how what are these beatitudes and how do they apply to us and To my way of thinking, this is like I'm taking a diamond now and we're going to take a look at it and it's going to be beautiful beautiful from this side, a little mysterious, and then we're going to turn it again and look at it again from a different point of view and see another glittering uh, piece of beauty and we're going to turn it again this morning. We're going to take a look at these Beatitudes from three different sides. And here's the first side or the first angle. These beatitudes are promises that Jesus extends to his people. These beatitudes are promises that are extended to us. Now a cynic would look at this and say, okay, so what you're saying is a person is going through a time of mourning, deep mourning, and you're just saying, Ah, don't worry, it's going to get better. You're going to be comforted sometime in the future. That doesn't sound very helpful, does it? Just giving the person some words. Uh, some people even charge that it's kind of masochistic, the suffering that Jesus talks about in this passage. And is it like he's saying, well, just yeah, just go ahead, sometime it'll be better in the future. That's the cynic. It's like holding out a carrot before somebody and say, well, don't worry, you're going through a tough time now. You're going to be persecuted for me. Don't worry about it. It'll get better later on or something like that. That would be how a cynic would take a look at this. Now, a follower of Jesus would have a different view of the promises that are made here because Jesus is not like politicians who go around before an election and make promises for everything to the poor, and to everybody else. Would you like free dental care? Vote for me, and I'll give you free dental care for everybody. And would you like, and I'm not picking on one person, by the way, uh, because everybody, have you noticed the promises that are out there for everybody with your money? (laughs) Well, Jesus is not like that. The difference is this, that Jesus can deliver. When he makes a promise, he can actually Deliver on his promise that Jesus actually, really, powerfully, profoundly, factually will deliver on the promises that he makes. And when he says, you're going through a hard time right now, I'm going to comfort you. I'll take care of you. If you want if you're you're hungering thirsting after righteousness in this life, you might get crushed by things. If you're fighting for what's right in this world and you want to live that way, it can be difficult. But he says, "You know what? You're going to be filled up. You will I, I'm telling you, you'll be filled up for sure." Because he delivers. These promises, if you notice, they're in the future tense. Ah uh, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. It's talking about a future blessing. And he is assuring us of heaven and of a heavenly existence and of the new heavens and the new earth Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we know that there's a life after death. There is this eternal existence with God forever. I think in our prosperity in Canada, we've lost an emphasis on heaven. Would you you say so? That the idea of the new heavens and the new earth, when God will make all things new, that we Christians have grown so comfortable where we are that we no longer long for heaven or no longer identify with the humble conditions that Jesus mentions in these beatitudes. We're not longing for heaven. We're longing for the weekend or we're longing for the next vacation package or cruise or whatever it might be. Jesus one day will make all things right and all things new. And we will be with him forever by faith when we've trusted in him. And that is a beautiful promise. It's a promise that has kept people going, kept them living in the midst of tremendous suffering. When you think of people of African descent who were slaves for years, You hear the songs that they sang. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. This promise of heaven is not an empty promise. And it's part of the promise of the Beatitudes, and we can praise God for this, Uh, Just a quick story, there was a guy last week up our way, his name is Don Moyer, who passed away, 59 years old. He's had ALS for 25 years, almost half of his life. This guy was a follower of Jesus Christ, and he would be there in his chair. You know ALS, you just sit in your chair all the time. His wife was so devoted to him, caring for him, praying for him. The church congregation came around and served him. There were many people who helped him along the way. You might pity this guy for the life that he's had for the last 25 years. He cheered for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Maybe you could pity him for that. (laughs) I don't know. But you know what? When the Leafs scored, he would cheer, and people would cheer with them as best he could. But the reality of Don Moyer is that he became a prayer warrior and he prayed for people. And on the day that he was dying, his wife called just a ton of friends to come over and the whole house was filled with people from the community praying for him, praying for them. Does he appear like to have a wasted life to you? Or does he appear to have like this upside down thing that we measure, that he has a full life in Jesus Christ and now he has a full (laughs) resurrected life in a body that can dance? Amen. Amen indeed. Well, these promises are not empty promises. Jesus delivers, and he does. Okay, that's the first, that's the first. We're gonna turn the diamond now. Let's look at it again. These are real promises that Jesus makes to us. We turn the diamond, we look again. This is also the great reversal. Um, As Elizabeth mentioned earlier, These are sort of upside down of of everything that we might think in our society. Our society might rewrite the Beatitudes and say, blessed are the proud and the dominant because they get what they want. They're not poor in spirit. Blessed are the hard-boiled who never let anything hurt them. They don't mourn. Blessed are those who complain enough until they get their own way. They're not meek. Blessed are those who who don't worry about sin, who do whatever they want just to satisfy themselves. They're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Blessed are those who get even and get their justice and drive others to get results. They're not merciful. And blessed are those who nobody troubles even when they do something wrong. They can break the law and not get caught and nobody ever persecutes them. You know, the Psalms address this conundrum. Psalm 37 says, starts off by saying, don't fret yourself because of evildoers. Do we see people in the world who aren't following Christ and who seem to be prospering in many, many ways? And God gives us this wisdom. Don't don't fret yourself because of evildoers. Psalm 73 starts off, I know that God is good, but as for me, I nearly lost my foothold and slipped for I envied the wicked when I saw their prosperity. Jesus reverses our values here. People who seem to be disadvantaged, who appear to be disadvantaged, may have a blessed advantage that in their desperation they may turn to Jesus Christ and find his life. I asked the teaching team for some help on this this week. I just fired out an email and I got a bunch of responses that were very helpful. Some of them went like this. Uh, In in terms of this overturning, our victories and blessings can be profound times of spiritual intimacy with God. It's true. God's presence in the good is wonderful but he is also present in the painful, empty places and times of life. Sometimes we have the notion that we have to get everything right and be good enough, and if I only performed better before we can really get deeper with the Lord and know Jesus better. What the Beatitudes say to us is that any time any point is a great time to turn and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you ever find yourself at a low point? Are you at a low point just now? This is the call of the Lord Jesus Christ who loves you so much to say, just turn to me. I'll meet you in the midst of whatever you're going through right now. So instead of just getting through suffering, grit our teeth and bear it and hard times, and even keeping it a secret from everybody else, God says that we can be blessed right here in the midst of suffering, in the midst of discouragement, in the midst of our anger or disappointment or our depression because Jesus Christ is present there. When we see our need for him, the kingdom of heaven is there and available for us. Philip Yancey put it this way in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. Through no choice of their own, the poor and the suffering, they might urgently wish that they were otherwise, but the poor and the suffering find themselves in a posture that welcomes and seeks the grace of God. In that state of neediness, and dependence, and dissatisfaction with life, they may welcome God's free gift of love and forgiveness and new life. When we sense our dependence upon the Lord and our desperation, we don't easily admit our desperation and our need, but when we do, the kingdom of heaven draws near. So, an example. This week I got an email, or last week I got the email, and the title of the email was this, Importance of Community First Hand. I won't mention any names or specifics, but it uh, came from someone in this church. And this family had been going through a difficult time. And this person said, we're, we're private people. We tend to keep things to ourselves and within our family and uh, for that reason we've not been in a covenant community before and we just sort of keep things inside and a few weeks ago when i was preaching here i mentioned you know what if you're going through a tough time tell somebody there are people who love you who will love to pray for you who will walk with you and and extend the grace of god to you so this person said okay i'm gonna do it (laughs) And she went out for a time with a friend, and it all spilled out about this deep, difficult time that they were going through. And this person prayed for the family. And then she called and was in contact with a couple other people of her Christian friends who became such a support to her and were prayer support, um... And she said, here's the thing. The prayer and the support for us has been absolutely awesome. Just at the right time, there'd be a phone call or an email or a text or someone would stop by. And I was reminded over and over again that God cares for us. And he is our shepherd. He is the one watching over us. And he is at work, even when we can't see it, You don't have to tell every detail of your your story, but to ask for prayer means the body of Christ can gather around and give you that incredible support. Here at Forest View, one of our values is we embrace brokenness. We don't run from it. We don't deny it. We don't try to hide it. And when we share these things, the stuff that we're going through with other people, others can pray for us, and we find the kingdom of heaven is there, the presence of the living God. Well, we're gonna turn the diamond one more time, all right? And in this last turn of the diamond, I think we'll see that what Jesus says to us in the Beatitudes and in the whole Sermon on the Mount is really the best way to live. It really is the smartest, most brilliant way to live. It's, it's the path of emotional and spiritual health. That God's wisdom to us is this invitation to consider the best way of life for us in this world right here and now. It's not just a promise for heaven and in the future. It's for right now. For example, meek, meekness means strength under control. A meek person is not a weak person. So, if you have a friend who's a meek person, you know that, that you're safe with that person. They have great strength, but they're not going to let it fly all over you. They keep it under control. And if you are a meek person, other people will know that it's safe to be with you. You have strength. You'll pray for them. You'll walk with them. You'll stand with them. But you're never going to hurt them with this. What about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? longing to make the world a better place, to bring what is right into the world, justice, goodness to others. This is not a comfortable comfortable state of affairs to be in, is it? Because when you see what's wrong and you're stepping in to try to make it right, you know that there are many, many barriers to try to, to, try to turn things around and to try to change them. It's a lot easier just to say, oh, well, you can't do anything about that. Just let it be, I guess. But for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, dissatisfied with how things are broken and not right, and stepping in to try to make it right, this is the heart that Jesus loves. It's exactly what he did when he came, right? He stepped into the mess of everything to begin to give tastings of the kingdom of God. You're like Jesus when you do this. How about being merciful? Don't we love it when somebody's merciful to us? (laughs) I told you a couple of weeks ago about driving significantly over the speed limit. Uh, I was actually passing someone, and it was all safe. And I think I told you before, I know that I'm in the top 5% of all drivers worldwide anyway, right? Just like 95% of all other males know they're in the top 5%. (laughs) So anyway, this police officer stopped me, and he gave me a warning. And I thought, oh, I'm so glad for mercy, <laughs> aren't you? So mercy, what a wonderful thing. Don't we love it? Um, but there's a couple that Ruth and I know back home uh, who, when the wife became a Christian... She had, um, okay, she'd had an affair. The the husband and wife were not Christians. She had an affair. She never told her husband. When she became a Christian, she said, I've gotta confess this to my husband. He was not a Christian yet. Can you imagine this conundrum? How's she gonna come clean on this? But she did. And you can imagine, all hell broke loose, honestly. There was anger, there was all kinds of stuff that was poured out, but she just continued to humbly uh, love him and walk with him and accept all the stuff that came upon her at this time. And as she continued to move forward, as they continued to move forward to get some help and to work this through, um, they moved towards mercy and forgiveness and now I think Ruth and I would say these are this is one of the most beautiful couples one of the most beautiful marriages that we know and it reminds me of something that Matthew said a couple of weeks ago because truth discovered and truth experienced is more powerful and more enduring than truth taught So for this couple to experience, to give forgiveness and mercy to one another and to receive it is such an incredible gift. Mercy is really the best way to live. Revenge never takes us anywhere positive. So this really is the best way to live. And as we go over this over the next number of weeks, you'll see this is the wisdom of God. These are patterns to follow. Well, so I'm concluding now with a final point, and that is that Jesus comes with this startling posture, and it's a posture of arms wide open. I don't know what you think of God, but I think a lot of people think of God sort of like this. You know, what's wrong with you? Shape up before I ever accept you. Or like this, All right? I've got my eye on you, and I'm ready to club you if you step out of line, or something like this, you know. But Jesus comes with this posture, arms wide open. And I I was thinking this week, what would it be like to be just like an ordinary working flog who came to Jesus with a great need, and Jesus heals you, or you see other people healed, and then you're standing here, and you're looking at him, and you listen to the Sermon on the Mount, and you think, you know what, I know that I'm not like one of those big religious leaders like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they walk around with the big pointy hats and big robes to let everybody know how spiritually strong they are and spiritually rich. I'm not one of those people. Those were very privileged people. That was a, a class of people who had a uh, big education. They had time. They didn't have to work. They all had servants. They were rich. And they had time to study the Torah and study the law, the the, the five books of the Bible and so on. So they walked around like spiritually rich people, much prouder, and they thought everybody else was just so far below them. And you just know you're just one of these little people. You don't have time. You're working like 60 hours a week to put food on the table for your family. You're spiritually poor. You know you're not like that. And you know that the kingdom of heaven doesn't really belong to you because you're just not worthy. And the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is available to you, he says. Everybody, available to everybody, whosoever will may come, Jesus says. This is the Savior we love and the Savior that we follow. Isn't he wonderful? That's his posture. And I don't know about you, you might be in the middle of a struggle just now. Tell somebody. Get prayer, get people around you to walk with you and support you. Maybe you're at a point in life where you don't even know Jesus in a personal way like this. Today would be a great day just to turn to him and say, you know what, God, I... I'm wrestling with stuff, but I wanna know you. I wanna love you back. You've loved me so much. This is the Jesus that we come to worship right here at this table today. And um, Jesus is the one who embodied all of these characteristics. He's the one who was persecuted for righteousness' sake, He's the one who showed mercy to all. He's the one who hunger and thirsted for righteousness. He was the peacemaker, right? He came to make peace between God and humans and peace between us all, among us all. He epitomizes all of these things and we worship him. So I want to pray and I'd like to ask those who are going to help to serve communion here this morning. We remember that Jesus Body was broken for us on the cross. And if you'd like to think of him there today, hanging on the cross, and seeing the brokenness and the mess of everything around him there, and out of his mercy, he says, Father, would you you forgive them? Because they don't really know what they're doing. Would you think on this this morning that Christ's body was broken for us, his blood was poured out for us, so we could be forgiven and enter into this relationship with him and know the beauty of this eternal life. So if you'd come forward now and um, we'll serve the, the bread and the cup, and this morning I'd like to ask you to do something a little different. If you would hold the bread and then hold the cup. Don't take it. And we're all going to take this together in in just a moment, okay? So if you'd serve it now, that'll be great. Hold the bread, hold the cup, and I'll be back, and we'll just pray in a moment before we actually take these.